Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. See you tomorrow. On the program tonight, canceling back. Cancel culture turning on the far left. Sane Americans flip the script on cancel culture. It was exhilarating, it was energizing. Big might be beautiful, but it is not profitable. Trans people selling beer and now fat people selling lingerie doesn't work. Can America's top brands get their mojo back? Black lives matter. Anti-blackness? Anti-blackness! Kills! Kills! New FBI data shows a shocking increase in black-on-black violence. Get up, bro! Since defunding the police didn't work, what's the next move to save black lives? Not just, uh, well, I won't go into it. I'll wait later. Taking too much time. Weakness causes war. No refugees in Jordan, no refugees in Egypt. What snubs by the king of Jordan and president of Egypt say about America's place in the world? Can President Biden prevent another hostage crisis? I've made wartime decisions. I know the choices are never clear or easy. As Hezbollah mobs try to take over our embassy in Beirut. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, the Middle East is built on three things. This is what I learned when I was there and covered the conflicts, the revolutions, and the wars for four years. Three things. Fear, respect, and trust. Your enemies must fear you. Your allies must respect you. And both must trust that you will do what you say. His 24-hour trip shows that the United States has lost on all three. This is not a partisan statement about Mr. Biden's trip to the Middle East. President Biden lands back in D.C. a few hours from now. Our two closest Arab allies, the Egyptians and Jordanians, refused to meet with Mr. Biden. And he lectured the Israelis. As Mr. Biden spoke, Iranian-backed groups rioted outside American embassies. Iranian militias tried to attack U.S. troops in Iraq. We as Americans are safer when our president is respected. This is regardless of party. This is not partisan. And the world is safer when America is strong and respected. We give billions of dollars to prop up the regimes of King Abdullah and President el-Sisi of Egypt. These are people we give billions of dollars to 
and they wouldn't even meet with the president of the United States, much less help us out. The only leader who would meet with President Biden is Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Here's how the day started. Years ago, I asked the Secretary of State, would he and I work in the Senate to write something for him? And said, uh, he wrote a line that uh, I think is appropriate. He said, uh, it's not, we lead, uh, not just, uh, well, I won't go into it, I'll wait later. Taking too much time. On the plane ride over, a White House advisor said Mr. Biden would ask the Israelis some, quote, tough questions. Friends don't ask tough questions after a terrorist group slaughters a thousand of your people. They ask how they can help and they shut up. That's not what Mr. Biden did. As we predicted, as we told you all last week he would do, he lectured. Like the United States, you don't live by the rules of terrorists. You live by the rule of law. When conflicts flare, you live by the law of wars. That only plays into the demands by the United Nations for a ceasefire. Israel knows it's on its own. They haven't even buried all their dead yet. But Mr. Biden, while on Israeli soil, announced $100 million in aid for the Palestinians and aid to Gaza, which will almost certainly be used by Hamas in their fight against Israel. But what Mr. Biden didn't say is far more important than what he did. You might remember last night Hamas accused Israel of bombing a hospital, killing 500. American media bought the story hook, line, and sinker. The New York Times carried the story, as you can see, complete with a picture, except it was a picture of a different building 25 miles away. That's the New York Times. This is what Israel is up against. By sunup in Gaza, it became clear that an Islamic Jihad rocket misfired and landed in a hospital parking lot. Here's the picture. And as you can see, there is no bomb crater from an Israeli bomb. We have no idea how many people it killed, if anybody. But the Israelis put out incontrovertible evidence that they didn't do it. And the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense, independently confirmed it. Here's President Biden. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team. There were no forcible statements of terrorists who lie and the battle between good and evil and nothing about eradicating Hamas the way we eradicated ISIS. Let's be clear. Hamas bombs its own hospital, blames it on Israel, the press buy it, and the best the president of the United States can do is blaming, quote, the other team. This isn't a sporting event. But as we have told you, the president can't help with the moral equivalency arguments. This is just teams. Speaking of teams, supporters of the other team nearly overran the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. The same city, Hezbollah, killed 200-plus Marines in the barracks bombings. And the same group, whose leaders in Iran took American hostages in Tehran, and now Iranian-backed groups hold Americans hostage in Gaza. Never once in his speech, in his multiple speeches in Israel, did he promise to hold Iran responsible for the lives of American hostages. What you say is often more important than what you back up. What you don't say is often far more important than what you do. Sadly, we were right about 10 days ago when we said this would be an epic mess. With us now, former foreign policy advisor to the Bush administration, author of The Genius of Israel, coming next month, 
Dan Sr., Emily Austin, anti-Semitism advocate and advisory board member for Case Pack. Nice to see you both. Dan, I want to start with you. 8 p.m. tomorrow, uh, presidential address from the Oval Office, maybe his first on foreign policy for President Biden. He's going to link Ukraine and Israel in his address to the nation. Uh, what do you make of what he didn't say in Israel and what he needs to say tomorrow night to the American people? Leland, I think what he needs to keep saying, and I hope he will, which is what he said in the 60 Minutes interview, uh, where he compared in the U.S., not in Israel, but in the 60 Minutes interview in which he compared, uh, I, I compared, compared Hamas to the Nazis. He compared what Israel is experiencing right now and talked about it being the deadliest day for Jews in the history of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. In his first address since the October 7th massacre, he compared Hamas to ISIS. So let's take a moment and think about those are markers he put down. Let's think about how the U.S., through the course of three administrations, Obama, Trump and Biden, confronted ISIS and certainly the way the U.S. and the allies confronted not the Nazis. It was to eradicate the threat. Full stop. That was the marker consistent with the rules uh, and the laws of war, which Israel is committed to. And I just think he's put down those markers and he has said he's on Israel's side. If you are, if you're on Israel's side, while Israel is doing the fighting the equivalent of the Nazis and ISIS, you know nothing else needs to be said. He's he's established those parameters. Hmm. All right. Uh, I, I, I hear you on that. It's interesting he didn't say it when he was in Israel. Um, I noted the change. I know you did as well. Emily, uh, we're going to put up live pictures right now, I believe, of Chicago, um, where there is a pro-Hamas march. I'm wondering what you make of this. You think this is people who actually understand what they're marching for and celebrating, or is it just a bunch of people who are, are gathering on what they think is the cool side of a progressive issue? I will tirelessly repeat myself on this matter. There is such a difference, difference between being pro-Palestine and being pro-Hamas. If you are pro-Hamas, you are pro-terrorism, and you should be extradited from the United States immediately. Because if you are pro-terrorism, it means that you are likely a violent human being and you have no right to be in the United States or on a college campus or marching the streets of Chicago or anywhere else. So I don't know if they're uneducated or if they're really just violent people, but it's unacceptable. I'm pro-free speech. I'm also pro-consequences. So if people are going out there and advocating for Hamas, a terrorist organization, there should be serious consequences in place. Well, we'll, we'll see if they are uh, and whether the FBI starts making some arrests. Uh, Dan, the president it seems to not have addressed yet uh, the, the left flank of his party, uh, that being Rashida Tlaib, who again today... Uh, double down on some very, uh, shall we say, concerning rhetoric. Take a listen. I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, as also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. Uh, if it's not a threat, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but how, how does... The, the country, I think, and specifically President Biden, reckoned with this. I, I'm like, jaw, I find those comments by Rashida Tlaib and others completely and utterly jaw-dropping. And so do most of the American people. If you look at these polls that have come out, recent poll by CNN, another poll by The Washington Post, overwhelming majorities, high 70s, 80 percent of Americans support the U.S. government standing 
closely, locked arm in arm with Israel during this war. So, which is understandable, right? Because you see the forces of barbarism facing off against the forces of civilization. And most Americans know that they want to be on the on the side of the forces of civilization. They're not on the side of the people raping women, beheading babies, burning children, kidnapping civilians. That's not the side the American people want to be on. They want to be on the side of the of the of the forces that are combating that. And the amazing thing about the IDF is they say, look, we'll fight this fight. We need your help. We need munitions. We need, you know, arms. We need funding. But our soldiers are the ones who are going to expend their blood on this fight. And I just think that's something the American people rally yeah. behind. And when they hear that kind of rhetoric like you just played, it is it just is to call it extreme is an understatement. It's like it's like coming yeah. from another planet. And I and I so I, I think it's a huge problem. Right. Not not right now. It's, it's not a huge problem right now, but it's going to be a growing problem for the Democrats over the next couple of months. 2023, Democrats have more sympathy for Palestinians than they do Israelis, 49 versus 38. That's as of March. We don't have new numbers. 2001, 51% of Democrats sided with the Israelis versus 16% um, for the Palestinians. It has been a huge sea change. Um, Emily, we have seen over and over on the other side, on the Republican side, uh, all members of the Republican Party have been forced to answer for the most crazy among them. And that's fine. That's what the standard is. I'm wondering why you don't think the media has forced uh, other Democrats, specifically President, President Biden, to, to address a sitting member of Congress who is borderlining on being pro-terrorist. The media is a difficult place to navigate. My honest opinion is that there's not enough pressure being placed. And I am a uh, big social media personality, and I do uh, constantly advocate for for being on the right side of history. But it seems like when it comes to the squad in particular, there's constantly an outrage, and in my opinion, not enough. And once that pressure will be placed on Biden, then hopefully some consequences will be taken. But until us on the media side or us just being on the Jewish side express that outrage and put the pressure mm. that's undeniable, nothing will change. I can't do it alone. So if you're watching this, this is a call to action. This woman needs to be yeah. expelled from Congress. She's vile. She's out there putting misinformation on Twitter. She got community notes violated. And she's still a sitting member of Congress. Explain to me why she's there. I, mean, I, just I, don't, know if, she's I don't know if community notes pressure. is whether... I don't know if community notes should decide whether people can be members of Congress, but saying that Israel <laughs> bombed a hospital when they didn't might be a different standard. Um, Dan, we're going to have you back to talk about the book. Congratulations. It could not come Thank you. Uh, at a more important time. I've been a fan of your work for a very long time uh, and really uh, privileged that we got to talk. Uh, Emily, it was good chatting with you as well. Thank you both. Uh, speaking Thank of consequences, me. we're starting to see them. It was predictable. The people at the heart of cancel culture are now getting canceled. Look what's happening on college campuses, for instance. Billionaires pumped $500 million in the Ivy League schools are now backing out over failure to condemn the Hamas terror attacks on Israel. Harvard and UPenn face losing hundreds of millions in future endowments. Three Harvard and Columbia University law students lost job offers. This was a letter written by the law firm Davis, Polk, and Wardell. Quote, the views expressed in certain statements of the signed law school student organizations in recent days are in direct contravention of our firm's value system. For this reason, and to ensure we continue to maintain a supportive and inclusive work environment, the student leaders responsible for signing on to these statements are no longer welcome in our firm. It's not just students in universities. This dentist was let go from CG Smile Dental Practice in Miami, video surfaced of him allegedly tearing down pictures of the victims of the Hamas terror attacks. 
Then there's this employee at Citibank who wrote, no wonder why Hitler wanted to get rid of them all. This was an officer at the Department of Homeland Security. You can see her post right there. It says Free Palestine, Free Palestine, posted a day after the attack. She has been since put on leave. Department of Homeland Security. And a pro-Hamas rally is scheduled at the Marriott in Arlington, Virginia, this Saturday. Group to fight anti-Semitism is calling on Marriott to cancel it. With us now, Ricky Schlott, Greg Lukanoff, co-authors of the book, The Canceling of the American Mind, Cancel Culture, undermines trust and threatens all of us, but there is a solution. Um, Ricky, I'm going to start with you because you and I have talked about this issue before. Uh, when you started yeah. writing about this book, did you think that this is where it was going to head? This is quite the time to write a book like this, that's for sure. And I think it's a demonstration of the fact that people who genuinely are committed to free speech are quite often put in very uncomfortable positions defending the rights of people to say often detestable things. And and this is a demonstration of that. I know my co-author Greg has been a First Amendment attorney for, for decades now and was actually put in the position of having to occasionally defend people who said really heinous things about September 11th while the, the, the smoke was still rising from the World Trade Center. So this is certainly um, quite the time and, and frankly, personally, an uncomfortable position for me as, as someone who's who's very offended by by a lot of the rhetoric that has become frighteningly common in this country surrounding this conflict. Greg, I guess the question is, um, I may defend to my death your right to say things that are extraordinarily offensive, but where, where is the line between a First Amendment right protected by the government and yeah. a organization's right to say we're not going to have people who express certain points of view, we're not going to have racists, we're not going to have anti-Semites, we're not going to have bigots, whatever it is, inside the organization. Yeah. I mean, our definition of cancel culture is the uptick in campaigns to get people fired since 2014. So by our definition, this fits um, because we are talking about things that maybe a company can legally do, but we, we, it, should, it should still give us some pause. I want to be really clear here, though. A company absolutely can decide who they hire. That is 100 percent within their call. But if you look back to 2020 and, and 2021, I particularly don't want people on the right suddenly thinking, oh, yeah, we, we, we should cancel them all. Remember what it started to look like. It started to look like at some of these corporations that unless you towed the line on, say, BLM or something like that, you couldn't have a job because the official company position was pro uh, pro BLM or, or, or pro the, you know, even pro what eventually became the riots. So I just wanted people to pause and, and, and think for a second. If you want it to end up in a situation where basically you can't have a job and an opinion at the same time, I understand the outrage and universities have been incredibly hypocritical about freedom of speech. And the fact that Harvard is now actually trying to claim it's good on free speech is, you know, unbelievable. It's, they finished no, dead, yeah, dead last at our campus free speech ranking. And, and they have they have and it's very convenient that now they're discovering it, but they have a lot to prove. You know, Ricky, back in the day, especially when it came to advertisers uh, who would advertise on anything that BLM didn't like or the left didn't like, they would call advertisers and, and newspapers participate in this. And they would say, um, hey, Mr. Advertiser, uh, do you realize you advertise on a show that promotes all of these terrible things? How dare you? Uh, and we're going to organize against you, the advertiser, unless you pull your advertising. Um, are we getting to that point, number one? Is that going to be done about this this Hamas issue? But more importantly, what do you make now specifically of the money issue on universities? Because this is different, right? This is now groups who give a lot of money demanding universities do things in return for that money. And in some cases, at least so far, 
the universities are saying, you know, fine, take the money. Uh, we don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think on the institutional front and and universities um, quite suddenly realizing something that should have been evident for a long time, which is that institutions do not have opinions. Institutions are created are are formed of people who have individual opinions, and yet historically, institutions have had opinions about uh, Black Lives Matter rallies, about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, about all manner of things that seemed quite strange and inappropriate for them to be. Um, weighing in on on an institutional level and then all of a sudden they're they're viewpoint neutral and i think that it's a very i mean i think that's the the right path forward but it's a very revealing moment to have realized as much um i wouldn't be surprised though if this this financial pressure does ultimately cause more and more schools to reverse course on this neutrality because this is pretty unprecedented and money talks and certainly these institutions are are awash in money with donors and would be fundamentally changed if if those that that was to truly and meaningfully go away. Yeah, uh, Greg. Last question to you, very quickly. Um, is this perhaps not to say that cancel culture is necessarily turning full circle and starting to eat its young, if you will? Uh, but this yeah. may this may sort of force the end to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's possible, um, and I think that you know donors mindlessly giving to their elite alma maters that have huge amounts of money in the bank has been part of the problem. That's why universities think they can get away with with anything. And now actually yeah. making pressure to defend free speech to be politically neutral is great. I'd also love to see a lot of people investing in things that can get entirely get higher, elite higher education out of the way. There's massive reform that needs to happen, and donors can be a positive effect on that. All right. Uh, congratulations to you both on the book. I mean, boy, it could not have come um, at a better or more prescient time. Uh, be- better lucky time. than good. Per- better lucky than good, perhaps. But you're writing about something that's important. We appreciate it. Thank you. Style points to Joe Biden, how he did what he wanted, sneaking past Republicans and linking wartime aid. We'll tell you what he's going to say tomorrow. Bud Light, you know, could have told Victoria a secret a little sooner. A lingerie company is learning the hard way. What Bud Light already figured out. And a baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. And Black Lives Matter. New FBI statistics show black lie black on black homicide rates alarmingly high. Since defunding the police didn't work, what's a real step we can take to protect black lives? This is a surveillance video of an armed robbery gang in a posh D.C. neighborhood robbing folks just after dinner. If you look closely, you'll see both the victims and the robbers are black. New FBI crime statistics show black men are far more likely to be both the victim and the offender in homicides. African Americans make up about 56% of homicide victims and only 13% of the American population. Compare that to whites, who represent 39% of victims, 77% of the population. More African-Americans are killing each other. It's now tragically the leading cause of death for young black men. The numbers have skyrocketed since 2020's defund the police movement. With us now, civil rights attorney Robert Petillo, former Detroit police chief Ralph Godby. Gentlemen, it is good to see both of you. Um, Chief, I'm going to start with you because this is now a a real problem in the African-American community. How, since defunding the police didn't work, quite literally, do you save black lives? So Leland, and, and, and you said this is the most fair show on the air. So let me do this. Um, the black on black crime um, 
phrasing, it's a ruse. Uh, crime is a matter of proximity, not race. Now, are black men disproportionately a portion of the crime? Absolutely. No one will dispute that. But that goes to socioeconomic. That goes to job opportunity. It goes to so many things that are disparately against black men. Uh, but with that being said, typically, you can look at any year, and the black-on-black crime rate relative to murder is around 85 to 90%. That's a constant. But there's a white-on-white crime issue if that's the tack we want to take to address this because 80 to 82% of white murder victims are murdered by people of their own race. So no, it's I, more- I, I, I agreed on both sides. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, mm-hmm. I think we can say, considering homicides per 100,000, Baltimore up 73 percent, St. Louis up 40 percent, Minneapolis up 11 percent, Baltimore and St. Louis heavily uh, have heavy African-American populations. Both of those cities went through a a real defund the police movement. And I'm wondering, what is the the what is the solution here? Defund the police argument. That's a political pariah. Uh, The extreme left, they picked a horrible phrase. But the reality is there has to be a reallocation of funding because no matter how many police you hire, if you don't fix the structural issues, the systemic issues that create disadvantages for black and brown people, you're just hiring more police officers to do more arrests and do more investigations. But you have not really gotten to the root cause of the issues that cause a disproportionate number of black Americans, particularly men, to be killed. In the United States of America, and I'm we not, can't. I'm not, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue the, but, the the disadvantage. I'm not going to argue the disadvantage <laughs> issue. But I got to get Robert in here um, for a minute. Robert, you and I have talked a lot about this in in, in to address the the chief's issues of systemic issues of violence in the African American community. Was defund the police used as sort of a scapegoat to not address uh, by even African American pop, uh, politicians those systemic issues? Uh, well, you're, the thing is, defund the police is a separate issue from the issue of uh, interrace crime. Defund the police was about this idea that maybe we shouldn't have uh, police officers showing up with a billy club, a gun, a taser, and handcuffs to break up a fight in high school because that escalates into police shootings that we see happening far too often in disproportionately in the African-American community. When it comes to addressing this issue of black-on-black crime, as it's phrased out, and I agree it's a bit of a misnomer, the Department of Justice uh, commissioned a study in 1983 called Black-on-Black Homicide, A Political and Psychological Perspective. And they laid out what needs to be done to bring down these numbers, and it's directly associated with the social and economic conditions that exist in those communities. So there's no statistical evidence that throwing more police at the problem actually brings down the levels of Black-on-Black crime. What does bring uh, bring down those levels is socioeconomics. If you look at uh, Prince George's County or South Fulton, Atlanta, or DeKalb County, where you have upper middle class and rich Black folks, there's almost no Black-on-Black crime compared to uh, poor communities. It's an economic problem. So if you want to solve an economic problem, there needs to be an economic solution to directly target those communities. And that's how you bring down the issue. The idea that throwing more officers at the problem only creates more mass incarceration and more negative externalities Hmm. that exist when you increase police interactions. Well, we're, we're glad to have had both of you based on the experiences uh, as well. Chief, it's good to see you. Uh, good Robert, to see you. welcome back. Welcome back into the United States. We're glad to have you back in country. Uh, we'll see you on TV soon. Thanks. All right. Big might be beautiful.
It is not profitable. The numbers are out, and they are not pretty for Victoria's Secret. The lingerie brand sales dropped again, down 5% this year, and well off its 2020 high of $7.5 billion. The brand's executives blame their embrace of body positivity rather than supermodels for the decline. That's a far cry from the CEO last year on the podcast Money Maze. Our uh, positioning is absolutely not about telling people what sexy is. They can decide what sexy is for themselves. Our job is simply to advocate for women. Our job is to champion women on their journey through life, whatever phase of life that that should be. Of course, Victoria's Secret isn't alone. Bud Light still hasn't recovered from a 30% drop in sales after it hired a transgender influencer. Cody Sanchez is here, CEO and founder of Contrarian Thinking. Uh, Cody, it's it's sort of shocking news, right, that trans people selling beer and fat people selling lingerie uh, doesn't work. I, oddly enough, that is contrarian in today's mindset. Yeah, I think the thing about brands that's confusing today is you would think that if you were the head of a multi-billion dollar enterprise, you'd do one thing. You'd actually go to your customers and you'd ask them what they wanted. And instead of doing marketing 101, we have decided to believe a societal norm that everybody believes one politically correct ism. And because of that, we're going to change our entire marketing strategy in order to agree to this group of they. I'm not even sure who they is. And because people like Victoria's Secret and Bud Light did that, we're seeing Bud Light sales drop by 5.9 billion dollars. That would be like if Molson Coors' entire business was cut by 50%. That's how big the numbers are. And I, I know, think right been... now we need brands to go to numbers, not narrative. No, look, it's been stunning. Target, Bud Light, Disney, Nike, Dove, Lego, North Face. It, it, it's across the board, right? And I would suggest that it's because the CEOs uh, enjoy being cool at cocktail parties and talking to their friends about all the things that they are doing in, in the DEI or body positivity space. And the CEOs uh, get fat paychecks from the boards and the boards enjoy talking about it as well. They don't really they're, they're not beholden to the shareholders in the way they should. But it's a different discussion. My question to you is, is that the, the next generation of consumers, right, young consumers are are now sort of what, looking for new brands or are they going to be forced to just deal with advertising from Victoria's Secret that that's, shall we say, a little different than what you and I grew up on? I think you're going to see uh, brands change and the pendulum has swung really far in the other direction. Um, just like Victoria's Secret has talked about, now you're going to see them say, hey, I think women actually came here because they wanted to feel sexy. And maybe it is not a bad thing for a woman to feel inherently sexy. And the numbers seem to tell us that. I'm not even sure that CEOs think that it's cool to talk about it at parties. I think they are so far removed from what the real average American, who is the average purchaser of Victoria's Secret, wants, that they actually thought this would be a, a good idea. And otherwise, they wouldn't have done it because they make most of their money, 50 to 70 percent of their money from stock mm. options, which is all about performance. So it's almost worse. They really think that this is what we as Americans want. And now we have to push back on them with our dollars and say it's not. Well, they're, they're, look, it's pushing back. There's also giving a lot of entrepreneurs now a chance to give consumers what they want, which perhaps is kind of cool. Hey, um, this was a great conversation. We, we enjoyed having you as a guest. We'll have you back. Thank you. Coming up, beatings will continue until morale improves. Republican leadership starts threatening their own members. It predictably backfires. 
What's next for a party that keeps giving Democrats political win after political win? If the tellers will please come forward and take their seats. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. No person having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. It has now taken longer for Republicans to elect a speaker of the House than it did to elect the last three popes. The capital played by Vatican rules, black smoke would still be coming from the chimney. After today's vote, firebrand conservative Jim Jordan actually lost support. As we told you last night, bullying rarely works. Jordan's allies threatened moderate Republicans if they didn't vote for him. We're told that threatening continues. There could be another vote tomorrow. Mick Mulvaney's here, founding member of the House Freedom Caucus, now a News Nation contributor. Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor. Mick, I'm going to start with you since you're Catholic. Uh, what would happen, all right, if we took their phones away? We locked them in some conference room in Capitol Hill and said, here's how it's going to work. You're going to vote. There's Catholic mass. You're going to vote again. There's Catholic mass. Uh, we'll give you food and water, but you don't come out until you have a speaker. How long would it take? Um, in all seriousness, they probably start killing each other. Um, it's really bad, Leland. I've talked to some folks today. I'm on the road, obviously, but I've been talking to folks back, back in Washington, D.C., and this uh, this tactic of pressuring some of the moderates has really backfired on Jim Jordan. I don't even think Jim ha had anything to do with it directly. I know Jordan, that's he's a combative guy, but that, that doesn't seem like it's his style. It is the style of some people like Matt Gates, uh, who really want to see Jim Jordan um, to be speaker. I'm not saying it's Matt. I don't know who it is. But whoever is doing it has probably sunk Jim Jordan's chances of becoming speaker. He put out a tweet yesterday says, can't we all get along? And while his folks are, are you know, arm twisting behind the scenes, that doesn't sell well within the conference. Well, it's, not even arm twisting. Um, it's not even arm twisting behind the scenes, right? I mean, you've got Sean Hannity out there uh, sort of publicly whipping votes and threatening Republican members. You now have uh, a Nebraska Republican group saying that they're going to show up at Don Bacon's uh, Omaha office. Uh, with crowds over House Speaker. I've never heard anything like this. Chris, uh, since that's, we're that's on the topic different. in the Middle East. With oh, all due respect, that's a little bit different because that that's not a member, right? I, I'm not responsible for what my Tea Party or my grassroots folks do back home. If I'm pressuring somebody in the chamber, which is what is happening, it's member pressuring member, uh -huh. that's the kind of stuff that frays people's nerves really, really quickly. Much more. We all know how to deal with the folks back home. It's part of the business. But when the members are doing it, that's a problem. Fair, fair enough. And, and it's different also in terms of, of just how it makes you feel. Chris, um, since we're on the topic of the Middle East, I'm a Middle East nerd. Abba Eben, the f former former min foreign minister in Israel. Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. I feel like that now applies to Republicans. 
So <clears throat> when you look at the universe of these 22 people who voted against uh, or didn't didn't vote for Jim Jordan today, you've got 11 of them who are from districts that are Republican, barely Republican, toss up or slightly Democrat. Right. Uh, so you've got that universe. These are the New York Republicans. These are people from competitive districts. They don't want to go with Jim Jordan into the general election. They don't want to drag that through. But it's the next 11 that are really interesting and revealing. And I think some of this blame ends up on the feet, uh, at the feet of Kevin McCarthy. <clears throat> so you have the next 11. And these are people who are from very Republican districts, like real, real Republican districts. And what Kevin McCarthy, here's what I hear from talking to members today and yesterday including a couple of people on that list. So Kevin McCarthy wanted uh, to remain speaker. Then when he lost the speakership, he didn't get in hard and push for Steve Scalise, right? He didn't get in there, and he even was undercutting Scalise, going on TV and saying, like, well, if they come and ask me, I, I don't know, maybe I'll do it, I'm not sure. And then McCarthy puts his shoulder in for Jordan, because I think what Kevin McCarthy wanted was to what Nancy Pelosi has with Hakeem Jeffries, to be of counsel, to be the senior statesman, to be the power behind the throne. And consequently, there is all of this frustration among the normies, among those people from those conservative districts who say, we're sick of it, we're sick of the backstabbing, we're sick of all this stuff. And I will tell you a last thing. Mick Mulvaney was right. Mick Mulvaney wrote a prescient piece in The Hill where he talked about what you really need is just a, a speaker who enforces the rules. And we're actually moving in that direction, because if that's what we get with mm. Patrick McHenry, uh, we'll call it the Mulvaney factor. You see, it's shocking. The, the panel now agrees. You both, have, you both have given individual answers long enough that we have agreement. Uh, we will, we, <laughs> time is expired. Go back to the part where Starwell said I was right. I love hearing that. I don't hear that. Okay, we'll, we'll just we'll, 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 we'll get that. it. We'll get it clipped right. for you, and you can just keep <laughs> retweeting it every day, gentlemen. It's good to see both of you coming up. Mystery solved. The man long suspected of killing Natalie Holloway in Aruba says he did it, but he may never be charged in her death. Why Holloway's mother's struggle for justice might still continue. Joran Vandersloot confessed to the killing of Natalie Holloway on a beach in Aruba nearly two decades ago. Holloway went to Aruba on a spring break trip. Vandersloot says he beat her to death because she refused his sexual advances. He then tried to extort Holloway's mother by demanding a quarter million dollars in return for information on her body. Chris is here. So Vandersloot gets 20 years, uh, and he's going to serve part of it or all of it in Peru, where he's there for a, a different crime. What do you guys got on this tonight, Chris? Uh, we're going to take a look at it. You know, I was the first to interview Joran van der Sloot uh, many, many years ago. And we followed it all the way through. And this is one of those cases that even though he was a young guy at the time, and from the outside, it would seem like he had no reason to be this kind of person. He was a monster. And he did exactly what it seemed like he did the moment that he changed his story. And he did exactly the same thing to the woman in Peru. 
That is what this guy is. He is a monster. And we'll be looking at the case, what it means to the Holloways. Uh, we have a big advance on the Gilgo Beach um, uh, murders. Uh, so we're going to take that on as well. And mm. we're going to keep people, we're going to keep showing people how the game of agendas and motivating division is going on even in our understanding and coverage and reaction to the war in Israel. Yeah, boy, uh, it's hard to find anything more polarizing uh, than the Middle East, uh, as you saw when you were there, and I, I learned as well. All right, Chris, we'll see you in a, a few minutes. Thank you very much. Uh, speaking of the Middle East, President Biden has now tied aid for Israel to support for Ukraine, putting Republicans in a, a little bit of a political pickle, how they'll get out of it next. We're going to make sure we have what you have what you need to protect your people, to defend your nation. And later this week, I'm going to ask the United States Congress for unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. Political style points to President Biden he just laid out how he will put Republicans, shall we say, in an uncomfortable position over the next few weeks. He's going to link Israel aid to Ukraine aid. He'll say that tomorrow night at 8 p.m. when he speaks to the nation. In July, 70 House Republicans supported an amendment by Matt Gates to cut off military aid to Ukraine. In September, that grew to 93 so a vote for aid to Israel is a vote for aid to Ukraine, which is increasingly unpopular among firebrand Republicans. And then, of course, President Biden will hammer Republicans for not having a speaker. Politically, it's a pretty shrewd move. Senator Pete Ricketts is here from Nebraska. Israel is universally popular among, the, okay, among Congress. Wide bipartisan right, support. Wide bipartisan support. What's going to happen here? Well, it's a great question. I support Israel, we need to stand with Israel in this horrible, brutal attack of Hamas on the Jewish people, the worst loss of life since the Holocaust in a single day. And I know that many of my colleagues feel the same way. I also support Ukraine. Right. Uh, we can't let Putin be successful because if he is successful in Ukraine, he's a dictator. So what he's going to do is start looking for other targets. If he picks the Baltic states, for instance, then we will be in a shooting war with Russia. So we need to discourage that. This is the way dictators behave. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Not all Republicans do. Right. It, this is going to get complicated, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Because I certainly got colleagues who either are with us on Israel, but not in Ukraine, or maybe they're both. And, of course, I haven't been here that long, but I have been here long enough to know that you got to actually read the bill and see if it's what it actually says. So uh, we'll see what actually the president comes back with. But it is going to be something where I know some of my colleagues are going to be conflicted about that. And, frankly, a better process would be to give people a chance to vote on it and be able to vote for things they want to do. But this place isn't really about really good process right now. It's one of the things that we have an opportunity to fix because it's really broken <laughs> right now. The process is broken. I think people would agree on that. Something's interesting that is happening in the Democratic Party. There is becoming, in not even sort of a pro-Palestinian, but a pro-Hamas part of the Democratic caucus, specifically Rashida Tlaib, who had some pretty troubling things to say today. Republicans in the past, every Republican has been made to answer for the craziest among you, right? Uh, we can think about about January 6th and about the election and other issues. That's fine. That's the standard that's been set. What do you make of the fact that that's not happening for Democrats about the craziest among them in their caucus on the issue of Israel? Yeah, it is something that it's like, why do they get a free pass on this when they say crazy things? Because if you are on the side of Hamas, right, you are on the side of people who have raped women and pray them bloody through the streets, who have, you know, the reports about beheading babies and toddlers. And like, really, this is the people you want to be on the side with? 
uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And why there isn't more of this is, from the mainstream media is just beyond me, because it seems like the black and white here is pretty clear. The black and white is pretty clear. Conceivably, uh, you know, raping, raping women and beheading babies is something we can all rally against. You listened to President Biden today when he was in Israel. I was struck by what he didn't say about the hostages. He didn't say he was going to hold Iran responsible for He didn't mention Iran at all. Yeah. Didn't mention it at all. And that's who sponsors all of this. That's the crazy part. Iran, Hamas wouldn't exist without Iran. And the president has said nothing about this. And neither is the administration. Surprise you? It does, because they are the largest state sponsor of terrorism. And